peace of our Lord be with you. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. With those words from today's gospel lesson, Simeon placed a small cloud over a big day in keeping with the traditions of Judaism Mary and Joseph had brought the baby Jesus to the temple for his dedication, at which the prophet Simeon had said some beautiful words over Mary's infant son. But then the tone took a turn when Simeon said that this child would grow up to cause conflict and that because Mary was Jesus' mother, a sword would pierce her own soul too. All of which came to pass just as Simeon said. Jesus did grow up to cause conflict and controversy. And a sword of sorrow did pierce Mary's soul when she suffered the sadness of watching her son die on the cross. But while Jesus' death may have been the worst of the sword Simeon saw in Mary's future, it probably wasn't the first of the sword Simeon saw in Mary's future. That may have come some years earlier when as an adolescent Jesus left his parents when they took him to the temple at Passover, without telling them where he would be. After which Mary, once she found him, said, We have been looking everywhere for you. Why have you treated us this way? A very human moment for the very holy family. And perhaps the first small wound from the sword, Simeon said, would pierce Mary's soul. Then, of course, there was that even more painful time when Jesus was teaching his followers and someone said to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, your mother and your brothers are outside and they need to speak to you. In response to which, Every one of us would expect Jesus to say to those he was teaching, excuse me, my family needs me. I'll be right back. Instead, 
as you will recall. Rather than responding in the way that we would expect any respectful adult son to respond, Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? My family members are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And one can only imagine that in that moment, the sword Simeon said would pierce Mary's soul wounded her spirit a little more. And then, of course, came the cross. Jesus sat down with and stood up for the wrong people often enough that he made the right people nervous enough that they had him arrested, convicted, and crucified. And the sword Simeon said would pierce Mary's soul did indeed, just as Simeon said it would, making Mary's family for her a source of both joy and pain, a quiet reminder for all of us of something many of us already know, which is that the family which loves us most dearly can also be the family which wounds us most deeply. What Simeon called a sword in the soul what I, somewhere along the way, came to call helpless love. We are helpless. Helpless to manage the lives of those we love, which is exactly as it should be. But we are also helpless to distance ourselves from the pain which can come to and from those we love. And no matter how hard we work at establishing healthy boundaries between our lives and the lives of those we love, Boundaries in families are, as one wise soul once said, less like a never-changing brick wall than an ever-changing row of crepe myrtles. None of which is news to any of us and all of which leaves many of us to do our most careful thinking and our most fervent praying about and around the often complex questions 
of how best to love one another in families. When does supportive love become unhealthy enabling? On the other hand, when does tough love need to lighten up? When do difficult conversations need to be had straight on? On the other hand, is there ever a time when the difficult conversation, which everybody knows needs to be had, is just not worth the risk of the rupture it may cause? And what about holding on and letting go? The book of Ecclesiastes is clear that there is a time for both, but it offers no instructions at all on how or when to do one or the other. Ah, families. Families take almost as many shapes in our world as they took in the Bible often intrigued when I hear people speak of the typical biblical family. I always encourage them to go and read the Bible, whereupon they discover that the typical biblical family is not the typical biblical family. No. Families take even more shapes in the Bible than they take in our world. All of them beautiful and powerful and complex and difficult. But one thing almost all families of every shape and size hold in common is a perpetually repeated, never-ending convergence of simplicity and complexity, joy and pain not unlike Mary's life with her special son, Jesus. A life of joy, no doubt, but joy wounded by the sword Simeon saw, which makes the Holy Family a lot like every ordinary family, in that for all of us, the family, which loves us most dearly can also be the family which wounds us most deeply. Which is why it is so important for all of us, no matter what shape or size our family, to practice as a skill in our families, the daily virtues of kindness, patience, respect, courtesy, contentment, gentleness, 
and truthfulness. Accepting those we love for who they are without requiring them to become who we think they should be, which means relinquishing whatever leverage of manipulation and control we like to hold over those we love. Refusing to talk about our family members in their absence in any way other than we are willing to talk about them in their presence. Deciding even to renounce the relentless teasing which in so many families causes so much utterly needless and pointless pain. When I was sitting with my mother back in September, the time of her death was near, past the point where we could have a conversation. Sitting there in the small den of her home in Eatonton, Georgia, looking over at her in the hospital bed which hospice had provided. I thought back to a time when I was a teenager, 15, 16 years old, and, you know, trying to be funny. Uh, teased my mother about something I had heard my father tease her about at home in front of some of my buddies. And I realized immediately that I'd hurt my mother, wounded her spirit. Um, I don't think I ever apologized to her for it. Uh, wasn't the end of the world. It didn't change our relationship. No, but what's the point? Anything for a laugh at someone else's expense? Why not repent of it and choose not to do it? what Marilyn Robinson calls the renunciation which honor and decency require. Just a way to be gentle and mindful in families. Another way to love one another, another skill to practice in families is to practice paying mindful attention to one another by deciding that you will look at those you love more frequently, carefully, and intentionally 
then you will look at the screens on your phones. This is a real problem in our world. You do not have to be that available. Put it down sometimes. Make a conscious choice that you will practice as a skill looking at those you love as frequently, intentionally, and carefully as you look at those ubiquitous screens of ours. Oh, I know, none of that will make our families perfect or painless. The family which loves us most dearly will always be the family which wounds us most deeply. After all, no one else has that much access to us, right? I know. Nothing will make our families perfect or painless even more than the perfect holy family was perfect or painless. But all of that faithfully practiced will make our families more safe and healing. And that alone is enough in a world which sometimes seems to be less that way with every passing day. Amen. As we come to the close of this hour of worship, we invite you to make important decisions for our Lord and our Lord's church during this time of reserve.